0: Doing all these things that Paul just has listed, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, which begs the question, why? And he goes on to tell us. Because there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that brings, belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Why do you keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond as you serve one another? as you discipline yourself to serve one another, it's because you really do belong to each other. You're part of this new family. It's not just me and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and a much bigger family than even Harvest here. that God has been calling together over centuries. And we belong to that family. And as family members, we have family responsibilities. And part of it is serving one another. Let me just highlight his list here a little bit. First um, Corinthians 12, keep your finger there because we're going to go back there a lot. First Corinthians twelve is where Paul also talks about this this gifting and this oneness that we have in the body of Christ. One of the things I appreciate about his list and his addressing that in Corinthians is that that was a really messed up church. I mean, nobody really now would want to go to the Corinthian church, right? Because they were ju- they were selfish. They they had brought with them a lot of baggage into their Christian life. And so Paul, in a very unhealthy church, says, "But let me just give you perspective here." You all belong together, whether you like it or not. You're all in the same family. And that's part of the reason why God has given you gifts, so that you can keep working with one another so you can become more and more like Jesus Christ. He says one body. And in 1 Corinthians twelve twelve, Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. There's not a lot of bodies. There's one big body. There are local expressions of that, of which harvest is a part. But we're part of this much bigger body of Christ. One spirit. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but it's the same spirit. The American church in general tends to elevate certain gifts like teaching, like organizing. But just because some gifts get used more in a particular context doesn't mean they're more important. Paul's whole argument is, okay, but if, if everybody was like that, then what would happen to all the other needs that are out there? And it's the same spirit who gives the gifts. He knows how to give gifts. One hope. Actually, back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul wrote, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, so you get it, that we may know what is the hope to which you, he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So hope here in the context of Ephesians, I think, when he talks about one hope, is not, I hope I'm going to get to heaven. It's that hope of having that that assurance that we have this great inheritance with all the other saints. That that is this equal opportunity. One Lord, again back in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5, and there are varieties of service, but it's the same Lord. There's lots of needs out there that need to get met, but it's the same Lord who has called us to serve one another. And then he says, one faith. And again, back in 1 Corinthians, but this time in verse 16, Paul writes, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Um, A translator trying to catch this in English would capitalize the. It's the faith, not just a faith. It is the faith that is following Jesus Christ. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. It's one baptism. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body that is placed into the one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we are all made to drink of the one spirit. I think the baptism here is not a water baptism. It is that placing into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. At the moment you become born again, regenerated, transformed, God places you into the body. And that baptism happened to everybody, regardless of what happened subsequently in terms of sprinkled, immersed, you had a, a sort of an experience with the Holy Spirit, you are placed into the body of Christ at that moment. And all the rest is up for grabs. One God and Father, and 1 Corinthians 12, 6 again, says, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. You see how God levels the playing field there in terms of gifts and abilities? So that when you serve, you can't just say, what a good boy am I, or what a good girl am I? It's because I belong. You have those responsibilities. When Cher and I were raising our three kids, we decided, philosophically, that our kids would get their allowance regardless of whether they behaved themselves or not. Because that was just something you got for being part of the family. But also that meant the chores they did, they weren't getting rewarded for. Why? Because they were part of the family. You clean up after yourself. You, you vacuum your room at least once a week. You uh, make your bed at least once a week. You know, you, you change your clothes at least once a day. Uh, all of those things we felt, as parents, were things that just come with the territory. And so when we would talk to other families who kind of tied in the chores with the, the allowance, we said, doesn't it feel like then you're paying them to be good? And what we wanted our kids to grow up knowing is, no, you, you try to be good because you belong to the family. Because you're in this loving relationship that just says, this, this is what it means to be a Schlieb. I know you all want to be asleep, but <laughs> After the sermon, please. After the sermon. Um, and so what Paul keeps saying is it's because of who you are and who you belong to that this service has to grow out of that. If not, it becomes very twisted very quickly. Now let's talk a little bit about diversity. And here is where it begins to really get into the whole service imagery. This bit is in verse 7. Because to each one is given a grace. Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one. See, he said just like I said. According to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, everybody gets at least one grace. Or sometimes it's called a gift. At least some sort of unique to you expression of how Christ is going to live out his life and his power in you. Um, This is kind of interesting, at least to me. Um, On the Church of Our Savior in Washington, D.C., very big church. They have this in their charter. It says, On the ship of the church, there are no passengers. All are members of the crew. Isn't that great? Let me read that again. On the ship of the church, there are no passengers. All are members of the crew. You don't get to pull the deck chair out and wait for somebody else to come by, you know, the drinks, the umbrellas, or whatever else. That's not what church is about. Everybody is crew. You've all got a, a place to do something, whatever that might be. Now, he goes on to say that some are graced to be leaders. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Then he's going to go on to talk about why he gave them. But to some are given leadership positions. Not everybody, by the way. And I think in the American church, again, we've twisted this discipleship thing to say, you're only a disciple if you end up being a leader somewhere. Let me just clue you in, the word "disciple" in the Greek is not a fancy word. It just means "follower. Are you following Jesus? How many are following Jesus? Okay, you are a disciple. Now, it does say that some will provide leadership, and that, we've all kind of twisted this thing to say, you're only a real disciple if you're leading. No, That's not biblical. Where stands it written? We're all who are followers of Jesus are disciples. But not everybody is a leader. God knows. And I've had a lot of experience with people who thought they were. And they weren't. Um, Apostles and prophets. An apostle was an eyewitness kind of sent then with that message. And prophets are those who hear and see the word of God and therefore they speak for God. There's some debate amongst uh, people who study the Bible as to whether those are offices that kind of were the foundation of the church and they've gone now or if they're still functional, I'll leave you to talk amongst yourselves after the sermon on that. But evangelists are basically the obstetricians. In other words, God has gifted them as leaders to to share the gospel in a way that the Holy Spirit just seems to grab people and say, this is the truth. Respond to it. Now, we are all to share the gospel. But if you've ever met an evangelist, it doesn't take but about two minutes and you know you've met one because first words out of their mouth. I mean, it's almost like, you get on the plane with them. You don't want to be in the next seat next to them unless you're really interested in the gospel because they are going to give it to you. They've got you trapped in a tube for however long it is and they are, they're going to talk to you. And, and the Holy Spirit uses that. Thank God. Because a lot of people come to Christ as a result of that. Luis Palau, Billy Graham, I mean, those are kind of the big names, at least in my day. Now it's a lot of other people. But evangelist is a gift They just seem to be able to articulate it, to translate the good news into something that resonates with the person they're talking to. Now let me say again, we're all to share the gospel. In fact, what's fascinating if you do a study on the gifts of the Holy Spirit is, except for what I would call sort of the the more dynamic things like tongues, prophecy, healing, um, except for a few of those, every gift listed in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Those are the four passages that talk anything about gifts. If you create a list, and by the way, I don't think that list is exhaustive. it's, It's just examples. But if you go down that list, everything except a few of what are more the miraculous, every gift is not only a gift, but it is a command that every believer do. For instance, teach. We're all supposed to be teaching somebody about Jesus. Give. Everybody's supposed to be giving, but some have the gift of giving. Discernment. We're all supposed to be discerning, but some have the gift of discerning. You hear what I'm saying? So the bulk of what's listed as a gift is also something that we have some primary duties in, regardless. I mean, you can't just say, well, I can't serve. I don't have the gift, right? Now, pass that clipboard along because I don't have the gift. No, 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 no. Time out. You're supposed to serve. Now, it is great when you can use your gifts, but stop using that as an excuse not to serve, right, to avoid that responsibility, Sorry, stopped preaching went to Medland. The pastor teachers that are listed here are the shepherd teachers are really the pediatricians. You know, the baby's been born, but now they need to know how to eat, how to live, how to walk, and that's where the pastor-teacher leadership comes in to keep pointing people in the right direction to say this is how one grows in the faith. So while some are graced to be leaders, all of us are graced to serve. I know you didn't want to hear that, but I've been leading up to it all morning Ephesians 4, verse 12. The reason for this leadership is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. That's why we serve. It's so that we can all grow in our relationship with Jesus. Everything we do in helping one another ought to point us to Jesus. How does Jesus do it? How does Jesus think? What would He want me doing in this situation? And by the way, when it says uh, the leaders are to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, that doesn't mean just getting people for the nursery or the children's church or the youth ministry, right? Ministry is helping others, whatever that looks like. And if you're waiting for just the right slot to open up in church, you'll wait a long time. In a typical church, there are slots for about 20% of the congregation. Even if you... I know some of you who recruit wish to (laughs) fill it up quicker than that, but there's only really room for about 20% of the congregation to do children's church and teach Sunday school and be involved with the youth or whatever in a typical church. That means 80% would get a pass then and not ministering. Well, I guess there's nothing for me. No, 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 no. Phone calls of encouragement. Showing up to visit somebody when they're in the hospital. Ask first, by the way. Just a little heads up. Um, Because sometimes they don't want somebody showing up. Um... Just listening over a cup of coffee to somebody. Those are ministries. Those are important ministries. And you don't have to wait for the pastor or somebody in the leadership to say, uh, would you mind being friends with so-and-so? Go find those ways to serve. Verses 12 to 16, by the way, is one long sentence. Paul tends to do that. And he gets worked up again when he talks about the purpose of those gifted people equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. He says in verse 7, to each is given, that is each person in the congregation. This is in 1 Corinthians 12, by the way. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. A fruit tree, for instance, does not produce apples so that it can sit there and eat its own apples, does it? Right? Why is fruit produced on a tree? For the good of someone else. My wife plants a garden and the zucchinis are coming on. I should have inflicted some of them on you. Um, We bring them to our local church all the time because, again, good fruit is something you get more than what you planted, right? I mean, if I had to plant one seed for every zucchini I was going to get, it would be pretty demotivating, right? One little seed and you get more zucchinis than you ever want. I think I've mentioned this before. In Santa Margarita, a little town on the Central Coast where we grew up, the joke was the only time in Santa Margarita, because it's a town of 1100, the only time you had to lock your door was when the zucchinis were getting ripe. Because if you didn't, people would leave them on your kitchen table because they have got way too many and they're going to they share them with you. Well, that's really what fruitfulness is about. It's is giving to someone else. Sharing the wealth, not just for your own good. Um, again, I love teaching, but I don't do it so that I can say, wow, that was a great sermon, man. Um, what I really always am praying is, God, would you use the things that I've learned Some of you have probably heard me say, if you've ever been nice enough after a sermon to say, you know, I really appreciated that. And and my comeback, because it's true, is I learned a lot. You know, because, and what I want to do is these sermons, are just the overflow of the things that God's teaching me from the passage. So the goal of these gifts is, first of all, unity. Verse 13 in Ephesians 4, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of, of Christ, I mean basically, Paul says, you'll know that the body is working well and using their gifts and serving one another when there's just this unmistakable unity. Again, you may have some ordinary people still in the congregation, but you know how to live with them in love. You, you live with them in an understanding way. Remember those attitudes we talked about in the first part of this sermon? You, there's a humility, there's a grace, there's a, a forbearance. But there's a unity. It's like, if you mess with my family, you've got to mess with me. When my son-in-law, Dave, took me out to breakfast, I made him pay, to ask or, or talk to me about marrying Kelly, I just said, you know what, Dave, just one thing I want to make very clear before I give you my answer. If you hurt her, you die. Amen. And I said, that's either emotionally or Physically. You hurt her, you die. And I've reminded him about every six months since then. They've been married about six years. Why? Because I care for Kelly, and I care for any fruit that would come from them. And they've got two and another one on the way. But it's that, that unity. Dave is not the son-in-law I would have asked for. He'll, he may listen to this sermon. He knows this. We've talked about it. <laughs> but he's everything Kelly needed hear the difference he doesn't go to the movies I go to he doesn't read the books I read he, you know but I've learned I even went to a pay-per-view ultimate fight with my son-in-law <laughs> so that I could get on his turf right that's how much I love him see that's the body of Christ it's sometimes I do things that wouldn't be my choice right but it, they're part of the family so I gotta bend I gotta shape and if it's not by the way if it's not sin it's an option can I get an amen If it's not a sin, it's an option. doesn't mean you have to do it. But I think sometimes as Christians, we've put this thing on, well, we don't do that. Where stands it written? But stop preaching, went to meddle. Let's move on. Besides unity, the other goal here is maturity. That's the second half of verse 13 in Ephesians 4. To the mature manhood, or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and be carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Again, the, the reason for serving is for the good of all. And what Paul basically says is, if we ain't all maturing, we ain't none of us maturing. I know that's hard in our culture, because we just love that independent thing. You know, we are the Lone Ranger. We just going to do it on our own. And Paul basically says as a body of Christ, as a local expression, if everybody isn't moving along, again, they won't move at the same pace. Some are a little further along than others. But if if everybody isn't moving, really ain't nobody moving from God's perspective. You can't just say, I got mine. You got to say, how else can I help? What else do I need to be doing to help this local body? You can see why this is a discipline, right? Because my instinct is to look out for me before you judge me. Your instinct is to look out for you. So we are all in the same thing. And that uh, I was going to bring a baseball bat. I decided not to. Because what I wanted you to do, some of you who have been at camp know what you do. You, you have a person hold it, right, and put their forehead on it, and they spin around about six times and then try and walk. You ever had somebody do that? Go home, try this on your kids. Um, because that's really the word here, uh, when it talks about being blown here and there, it means literally to be swung around. And it's very disorienting. It, it comes from um, the Navy, from being out on the, in the ships. But it's you caught a wind now and you turned around. You're, you're basically going the wrong way. And Paul says, you know, there is strength in us all. That's why the unity thing. If we're all in this thing together and if we're all watching out and serving one another, it's harder for someone to get turned around, to get pulled into something they ought not to get pulled into. Because there's others there saying, i um, That's interesting. Have you thought about, have you considered, what do you do with this passage? All those things to ask all the right questions and point them to the right text. That's why God puts us in local bodies of Jesus Christ. There's not only a maturity in doctrine; there's a maturity in relationships. This is verse 15. Rather than being blown around, speaking the truth in love, which some of us have missed that in love part, um, I really, literally, and I need to apologize, I will probably this week, but a, a lady who did something that I it just upset me, I couldn't see where, and she said, maybe I was being led by the Holy Spirit and it was the love of Christ. And my response to her was, no. That's pretty harsh. <laughs> now, I really don't think, in light of what she did, that, that biblically she can substantiate that this was prompted by the Holy Spirit, right? But I didn't do it in love. I was so worked up. I was so righteously indign- indignant that I didn't express it in love. So, what I will end up doing is apologizing for the tone in which I responded to her. And then we'll have a discussion about whether or not what she did fit what I think is the biblical response to things. But you see that in love thing? So, speaking the truth in love were to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which with which each is equipped. When each part's working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Right? And that's why nobody can say, see what an impact I've had on this local church? Why? Because it's everybody doing what they can and needs to be done, and then the body builds itself up in love. It becomes mature because everybody's cooperating together. As John Stott said, truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love, but love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. Right? There are times when you really need to speak the truth, even if it's going to hurt. You try to do it in love. But if you just go, ah, you know, I can't... I mean, this is where a lot of our theology is going, frankly, even among evangelicals, is we so want to love everybody that we keep pushing back the boundaries of what is clearly taught in Scripture. And we say we're loving doing it. No, that's not loving. You know, if if a good friend of yours puts a gun in his mouth, it's not loving to say, well, you know, whatever you want. That's not a loving thing. There are things where you need to stand and say, that's wrong. Don't do that. That's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for me. Those are long-term consequences. We're going to grow into Christ who is the head, from whom comes that maturity in love. So what? The words, since I've been here 12 times, You long to hear because you know he's almost done. He's going to land the plane. For me, some of the implications of this passage are that, first of all, everyone has at least one grace gift. And by the way, I don't know that you need to go take one of the tests. They're sometimes helpful. But just kind of look at what you get drawn into. And the Holy Spirit just seems to bring some fruit out of it. Which means, by the way, try a lot. (laughs) Volunteer for stuff you've never done before. And just see, what does God do with that? Secondly is all the grace gifts are given to be used for others. I don't use my gift of teaching to teach me. and I don't do an outline and then I sit in a, my overstuffed chair and preach it to me. I mean, there's parts in which the Holy Spirit does the preaching to me as I'm preparing, but my, my gift is to be shared with someone else. Compassion is something you don't just show to yourself. You show it to others. It's always that, that outward focus. And the third one has to do with this whole discipline concept. In the discipline of using your grace gift. Then you begin to develop as a child of God. That's where maturity comes. And in so doing, you begin to help others develop as well. There is that growing that happens with you as you keep getting stretched. But that's not the purpose of it. It's so that others might also grow and mature in Christ. And the body will build itself up under the headship of Jesus Christ. Rather than closing in prayer, what I'd like to do is segue right into communion. As I was preparing this, and then I got the call from Curtis to say, would you mind leading communion? I'm looking at the pageant and saying, this is great. So we're even going to pretty much skip the 1 Corinthians 11 passage we all go to, in the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took prayer. Because what we have in Ephesians is just another reminder of we belong together. And the word communion is what do we have in common, right? And what we have in common is that we are part of the body of Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jerry was praying before the the, uh, service, he called it Eucharist. I love that word. Because the word charis is grace, like the grace gifts here are called uh, charismas. And the E-U on the beginning of it, of Eucharist, means good. So it's a good grace. The communion table is a good grace. It's that opportunity to say again, I belong to Jesus Christ because of what he did for me. Not because I went looking for him, but he came looking for me. And he loved me enough to go to the cross, take on himself my sin so that I could be part of his family and we together could walk toward maturity. So now let me pray and then we'll, we'll talk a little about the elements. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we belong to each other. And as we come to your table, would you use this good grace to remind us of your great grace expressed most clearly in your Son, Jesus Christ. As we partake of the bread, the cup, would your Holy Spirit remind us that we didn't earn this, we don't deserve it, but it is ours as a free gift. I pray these things in Christ's name, Amen. There are two what we call elements. And do you guys end up distributing this? I don't know what you're... you're. Let's do that. So if we can get a couple guys, one one to handle each side here. There are two elements, or there's two parts of it. And and, and a reminder that this, this originally was part of the Passover meal. Jesus was sharing that Passover meal with his disciples. And at two points in that meal... Jesus says, in essence, there's something more going on here than simply remembering our deliverance out of Egypt. The first is when he took the bread, which was an unleavened loaf. It was used to remind Israel how quickly they had to get out of Egypt. When God said the doors are open, it was like, move. And Jesus takes that bread and he breaks it. And unlike the usual Passover service, he says, this is my body that is broken for you. I love the fact that, one, to used the Passover, but just the fact that he would use bread. In every culture, there is one food in common, and that's bread. It's made out of roots, it's made out of wheat, it's made out of all kinds of things, but you can find bread in every culture on earth. And that's to me, is significant because Christ became human. He became one of us. He emptied himself of all the rank and the privilege and said, I'm going to be like you. And by the way, I believe he still carries that body, glorified, but still carries that body today and in fact will carry it for eternity as a reminder that he became one of us so that he could take our place. We, in my church that I attend, we've just been going through the letter to the Hebrew Christians and over and over just remind he became one of us. Not so that he could identify with us, he's God. But so that we could identify with him. We could begin to put our heads in a place where we say, God knows what it's like to be tempted. God knows what it's like to think, uh, maybe this is another option. He never once sinned, so he could be our sinless sacrifice. But he was just common, ordinary. If you'd seen Jesus walking down the street, there's nothing, in fact, Isaiah points that out in his prophecy of Jesus, there's nothing where you'd go, I think that's God in the body. There was nothing of that. Common, ordinary, and Christ takes that bread and says, this is my body, which will be broken for you. I'm taking your place. Then, after supper, so just hold the bread, and we're going to eat that together, and then we're going to drink the cup together. There are four cups that are part of the Passover service. And the third one, which is the one right after they actually eat the meal, is what's called the cup of redemption. The last one's cup of Elijah because they're still expecting the prophet to come to announce the coming Messiah. He took that cup of redemption. And unlike any other Passover service, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So it's my body broken for you and it's my blood given for you. And I hope that all of you here this morning understand that if it weren't for Christ's willingness to take on Himself that, that we would still be in our trespasses and sins. We would still be without hope in the world. And therefore, both the body and the blood of Jesus Christ are necessary. Now, you may be here this morning and you haven't yet committed to Christ. I've known a number of people throughout the years who the Holy Spirit just through the word or maybe even in the communion itself just kind of went it makes sense I need a savior I can't do this on my own and they took the communion as their very first acknowledgement that I am a follower of Jesus Christ I'm not going to try and save myself I'm going to take what God's already done and given to me so what I'd like you to do is to take the bread first of all and we'll eat it together this is the body of Christ broken for you Let's eat it together. And then this is the blood of Jesus Christ, which is shed for you. Let's drink together. Let me pray one more time. Father, it's been good to be in your presence. It's been good to be gathered with other brothers and sisters who know you and love you, and, and they really do want to please you, they want to serve one another, thank you for this reminder from your word that it, we need to do it with a certain attitude, and we need to do it with the goal of, of truly helping for the long run. Not so that we'll feel better, but so that our brothers and sisters might grow in their relationship with you, might grow in their relationship with each other, and that their needs might be met. Would you help us keep that as our focus when we serve? Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue worship.